<laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. And um, as we uh, take a look at this new series that we're going to be going through, um, God, I pray that you would really just help us and, and give us a good understanding of the things that you want us to know uh, and why you want us to know them. Um, so just be with us in our conversations today and the things that we talk about and the things that we open up in your word and, and uh, just just show us. Show us the things that we lack, that we need. Uh, teach us the things that, that you want us to be faithful in and I pray God that we would be obedient to whatever it is that you've called us to do today. Um, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the grace that we have through Christ uh, and thank you for giving us your word that gives us everything that we need for this life and, and how to do it the right way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Um, as you guys are kind of making your way back, getting settled a little bit. So, um, so we're going to be doing a new series. I have been kind of going back and forth a little bit about what to do next. And I really feel like that we have a uh, unique opportunity. We've had, uh, as I mentioned a couple Wednesdays ago, there's been 12 high school students during this year that have received Christ, um, which has been absolutely amazing. We've never really had that before in our ministry. And most of them have been outside of youth camp, which has been amazing. And along with that, and being involved in discipleship and a lot of new connections we've been making, I really wanted to start going through some basic doctrinal studies, because I think there's a lot of people that, that they know the gospel, they believe the gospel, they've trusted the gospel, but when it comes to really knowing sound doctrine, that might be lacking in a lot of your guys' lives. And this might even be the case just growing up in our church, because do you know what you believe about the Bible. Do you know what you believe about Jesus? Do you know what you believe about God? Do you know what you believe about salvation? Do you know why you believe it? This is something that's very, very important. And so I really want to challenge you guys, and we're going to be doing this in a, in a bit of a unique way uh, during the study, um, but we're going to be covering various topics. And so there's a couple different approaches that I could have gone with this. I've done a doctrinal studies thing in here before where we've gone through and and did more, okay, what's the doctrine of Christ and salvation and the Holy Spirit? And there's also other ways I've done it where I've gone through the seven New Testament mysteries. And it's been about four or five years since I've done the, done the mysteries here in the senior high. I'm currently teaching them in our Bible Institute right now. Um, so we're not going to go to the depth of what, you know, we've, what we're doing in the, in the in Bible Institute. But I still want to go through the seven mysteries with you guys. And I want you guys to understand them. And we'll talk about why as we go through the study. All right. But here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to take your guys' papers, flip them over to the blank side on the back, and I want you to write down this question, all right? I want you to write down this question, and I want you to take a max of five minutes with the person next to you or the people around you if there's an odd number, and I want you to try to answer this question as if somebody's asking you this question, all right? So here's the question. Okay. Why does doctrine matter? Why does doctrine matter? Why does doctrine matter? And the reason why I want you guys to answer this question or to be able to answer this question is because there's a lot of people that are out there that believe in God, they believe in Jesus, and they might even be saved and believe in the gospel, but they do not care about biblical doctrine. They don't care about getting their nose into the Bible and actually understanding the doctrines of God. There's a lot of people, and I've had this in my life, they've accused me of being way too serious about the Bible, way too serious about God, way too serious about theological matters. And I think it's super important. And so if someone were to ask you that question, we're like, 
Why? I mean, okay, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus or whatever, but as far as, like, doctrine goes and stuff like that, I care more about, like, if a church and the way that the music is and the way that it makes you feel rather than the things that they believe necessarily. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Maybe you've had someone come and talk to you about that, but how would you answer that question? So take about five minutes max, and I want you to talk to the person next to you, and I want you to try to answer this question. I want to see some of the things you guys come up with. All right? Go for it. Yeah, that, that should lie. That's what you're saying? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, wrapping it up a little bit. So, what was some of your answers? What would be some of your answers? If someone were to come to you and say, why does doctrine matter? I know Jesus. I know God. Why does doctrine matter? Brandon, you wanted to go first? Okay. Go for it. So, me and Ethan came up with that you wouldn't look at God the same because if you picture doctrine as like a line and you go off a little bit with something like small, like I can't think of something, but if you like lose... <laughs> Like, the bigger thing, like, you can lose your salvation. So mm-hmm. You go off a little bit, and then you're going to keep going. You're going to be in a different area, and you're not going to look at God the same. You're not going to look at him as a loving God, like, et cetera. So. Yeah, good, good. You know, the principle that Brandon just described is that error begets error. Sin produces more sin in your life. And this is just a basic principle that you guys need to understand. For example, you do something stupid, all right? You want to cover it up, so you lie about it. Okay, but then once you lie about it, now what do you have to do? Okay, you got to continue the lie, put up the charade until eventually something happens where everything comes out and you end up lying more than what you should have, more than you wanted to. You hurt people in the process. Okay, so truth doesn't work that way. So doctrinal error always produces more doctrinal error because you have to continue to justify your false beliefs in order to make yourself feel okay. Whereas the truth always brings peace, always. Always, anyone that has a right heart attitude towards God, whenever they hear the truth, they hear doctrinal truth, they may not understand it all, but they hear it, they will receive it and they will be at peace because it's God's truth. Truth will always lead to more truth and more truth and more truth and more truth. So yeah, that's a good one. All right, what else? I think we got Carson next. It makes you a stronger, more stable Christian. Yes, it does. It does because your foundation is secure. Yep, very good. How would you know that what you're Yeah. You should know that what you believe is correct. I mean, you need to know how to operate. Those of you that are learning how to drive or are currently driving, you need to learn how before you actually went out and did it, right? And then once you did it, you understood more about why they taught you what they taught you. Okay, good. Doctrine kind of separates religion and relationship. Religion is like based on feeling and what you want to be true, but like when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have sound doctrine, it's based on like facts and things that are actually true. Absolutely true. Okay, good. And I like, I like how you mentioned that because I think a lot of people think that religion is obsessed with doctrine. I think a lot of people think that because, oh, you're just religious. I hate that. (laughs) No, I'm not religious. I love God and whatever he loves, I love in return. It's not about being religious. It's not about 
well, you go to church. Well, you read the Bible. No, it's not about those things. It's about that I love God, so I want to know how he thinks, what he thinks, and so that way I can do the things that he wants me to do and have that relationship. You can only have a relationship with God if you have sound doctrine. Otherwise, it will become religion, which is empty and vain and is an institution that man has invented. Okay, good. What other thoughts? Any others? Yep, Noah. Doctrine is a main thing in the Bible, and the Bible quite literally is Jesus himself. Yeah. So if you're going to have a great relationship with him, probably not. Yeah, absolutely. So our doctrine comes from the Bible, not man's tradition, from what the Bible actually says. This is also referred to as the mind of Christ. So these are, this is how God thinks, and he has painstakingly put this down in writing for you to read and understand. So there are things that God wants you to know, his doctrine, his truth. All right, very good. All right, so we're going to talk more about why it's important as well um, in, at the very end of this lesson today. But I want to just kind of go through some of this stuff. Some of these verses you're going to have to look up on your own. I really want you guys just to get the overall principle. All right, so for this intro, we got to look at God's perspective, all right? So understanding the biblical definition of a mystery, if we were to look at this, and you guys should be in Ephesians chapter 3, the Webster's 1828 really has a very good, concise definition of mystery, in which, by the way, for those of you that don't know, the reason why we have Webster's dictionaries was because Webster, Noah Webster, was a Bible believer. He was a born-again Christian, and he decided to take words from the Bible and how the Bible uses them and create definitions. So the original Webster's dictionary is actually very, very biblical. The farther back that you go, as far as the Webster's edition, the more biblically accurate it is. When I do my studying, I use the Webster's 1828 or the 1913, and you can find both online for free, and it is great tools to have. Webster's dictionaries today are not biblical whatsoever. It's just a reflection of our society and the culture and how we define our words today. Okay, <clears throat> so Webster's 1828, it says, a profound secret, something wholly unknown or something kept cautiously concealed, therefore exciting curiosity or wonder, that which is beyond human comprehension until explained. In this sense, mystery often conveys the idea of something awfully sublime or important, something that excites wonder. And so when we talk about mystery, it's not something that you cannot know. It's something that you absolutely can know and that God wants you to know. So it does not mean something unknowable or kept a secret, but something that was once hidden and is now revealed. So it used to be hidden, but now it's revealed. And when you start to learn about it, you stand in awe of it. So when we go through each of these mysteries... And I'm going through them in JBI, and I'm telling you, every Thursday night when we go through each mystery in JBI, I am like, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And the more I study it, the more amazing it gets, and it doesn't stop. And that's why the Bible calls them the unsearchable riches of Christ, because you can't actually come to the end of that mystery and say, oh, I get it 100%. You can't do that. If you did that, you were God, and you're not God, in case you didn't know. All right. So God wants you to know his mysteries. That's your first blank here. God wants you to know his mysteries. He wants you to understand it. When God gave you the Bible, he did not give you the Bible as something very mysterious that you could not understand. He wrote you the Bible because you can understand it if you're willing to put the time and the effort and the heart into it, and especially if you have the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you cannot understand the Bible. So God wants you to know his mysteries. Ephesians chapter I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 3. All right, verse 4, actually verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand, there it is, understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, 
as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then he continues to tell what that mystery is. But here it says very specifically, it is a mystery that God wants you to know. In other ages, they did not know about these things, but now he wants you to understand it. Okay? Okay. And so this is a huge, huge contrast to what we see out there with religion today. Um, and it's something very important that we need to be able to understand. Okay. So with that, letter B, why are there seven? So there are seven because God uses patterns in the Bible. Um, this is a rule of Bible study. It's called the consistency factor. Anyone want to try to define the consistency factor of Bible study? Yep. God is consistent. Okay. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. You sound like Webster's Dictionary, the modern one today. Okay. So that God is consistent. Once God sets a pattern in the Bible, he uses that pattern throughout the scriptures. He does that. I mean, you can take the days of creation and what he created on what day, and you can follow that same pattern throughout the scriptures. That's why you can study the pattern of numbers. And so the number three in the Bible means? <laughs> Anybody know? Well, that okay, part of the resurrection. Perfection. Perfection. It's God's number, three, because of the Trinity. And you can see patterns of three in the Bible, that Jesus was in the belly of the, in the heart of the earth for three days, right? So you start to see the pattern throughout the scriptures. The number seven is the number of? Completion. Completion. The number eight? New beginnings. Number 10? Gentiles. Gentiles. Yep. Number 12? Apostles. Israel, because they are the, the apostles of the nation of Israel, right? So, 40? Times trial. trial and testing? 50? You don't know that one? Old. <laughs> Over the hill. <laughs> 50 was the year of Jubilee, and it set people free. It was, the, it was the number of freedom. So anyway, there's different things like that that you can find throughout the scriptures, right? There's only 7,000 years of human history and all that stuff, okay? So God uses this, these patterns. So God's number of seven is, is God's number of completion. Completion, that's your other blank there. And there are so many sevens in the Bible. There's six days of creation with the seventh day of rest. There's the clean beasts that were taken into Noah's Ark were taken by sevens. Uh, there's six days in the Jewish work week and seventh day of rest. There's seven spirits of God, seven dispensations. There's seven feasts for Israel. Uh, Israel's history is divided into periods of sevens according to Daniel's prophecy. You got seven deacons in, in Acts 6, seven baptisms in the Bible, seven resurrections in the Bible. There's actually seven judgments in the Bible. Um, the New Testament epistles are written to seven churches. If you were to count them all out, you got Romans. You got what's after Romans? Corinth, and they had two letters. What's after Corinth? Galatia. 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 Ephesus. Ephesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Philippians, the Philippi. Colossi. 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 Uh, the Thessalonians. Yeah, Thessalonica. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Names of the books, and then what's the name of the city? Yeah. Okay. So that's seven, right? When you name it all down, you, you look at all the New Testament epistles is written to seven New Testament churches. Okay, there are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. There are seven appearances of angels in the Gospels. There are seven characteristics of wisdom in James 3.17. There are seven stages of discipleship or spiritual growth seen in Christ's ministry. The Word of God was purified seven times according to Psalm 12. 
In Revelation, there are seven churches, seven vials, seven seals, seven angels, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven cups, seven heads of the dragon, seven thunder, seven spirits of God, seven blessings, seven mountains, seven woes, etc. And then there are seven millenniums in human history, so seven periods of 1,000 years. Um, there's etc., etc., etc. Okay, so there's all these sevens that are found in the Bible. And so you just can't say that's a coincidence. Like when God starts to do certain things, you're like, why is God doing that? You need to start paying attention. So there are seven mysteries. All right, point number two. The seven mysteries are God's internal and biblical method of systematic theology. Systematic theology. And really, just to name it and, and really give you a good definition, systematic theology is simply a study that answers the question, what does the Bible teach us about what? About this, okay? So systematic theology would be like, okay, you got the doctrine of God. What does the Bible teach us about God? What does the Bible teach us about Jesus? What does the Bible teach us about hell? What does the Bible teach us about heaven, about angels? Those would be different topics of systematic theology. And so uh, when you take a look at this and you look at man's version versus God's version of systematic theology, um, what you'll find on the left-hand side, and this is part of the the students in the Bible Institute that they're memorizing, um, but what you see on the left-hand side is what is typically taught in a Bible college. So we're going to be going through some of the same things that you would actually learn in a Bible college but in a way that you guys can understand it. So you got bibliology, which is the study of the Bible. <laughs> no, not the Quran. <laughs> Man, we got a long way to go, dude. Okay, bibliology is the study of the Bible. And then you have theology proper, which is the study of, anyone know that one? God. God. It's the study of God. <clears throat> theology proper is the study of God. Christology would be the study of? Yes, Jesus. The typical Sunday school answer. Chris? No. No. No, you are wrong. You are dead wrong. Pneumatology would be the study of? Pneumonia. No. No, no. No. Not pneumatics. Yes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. All right, soteriology would be the study of? Salvation. Salvation. Yeah, not Satan, salvation. That's right, it was a good guess. It was a good guess. We don't need, use these terms that often. I mean, you could actually turn around and, yeah, we don't use these terms that often. You could turn around and be like, hey, guess what I learned in church? I learned about soteriology. In <laughs> the study of Chris. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. Maybe this was a bad idea. Okay. Ecclesiology would be the study of the? The church. The church. The church. And then eschatology would be the study of the? Last days or end times, however you want to put that one. Last days. Last days. Okay. So... Literally, when you look at man's version of systematic theology, it would be going through step by step and say, okay, what does the Bible say about the Bible? Sounds kind of strange when you put it that way. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about Christ, the Holy Ghost, salvation, church in the last days? And if you were to take this at a Bible college, you would take a course and you would have chapter one, theology proper. And then you start to study all the things that the Bible says about that. Chapter two. And then you go through the study of the Bible. And you start working through the various topics and what the Bible actually expounds or explains about that. Which is not a bad thing. I went to Moody Bible Institute and this is how I learned systematic theology. And I learned a lot of things. But I will tell you, after going through that 
and then studying out the seven New Testament mysteries. Learning God's theology and his doctrine through the seven New Testament mysteries is so much better. It's so much more complete. And we'll be able to see that as we work through it. So God's version of systematic theology is what you see on the right-hand side. And you've got the mystery of God manifested in the flesh. You have the mystery of the church as one body in Christ. You have the mystery of Christ indwelling the believer at salvation. You have the mystery of the restoration of the nation of Israel, that God is not done with the nation of Israel yet. You have the mystery of the rapture of the church. You have the mystery of iniquity, and you have the mystery of Babylon the Great. And when you study out all seven of these, it covers everything on the left-hand side and more. And it covers it in such great detail that you will study it and, and start to understand very deep, deep things of God if you really want to. So the seven New Testament mysteries are given uh, to the church. They are God's way of providing an internal and biblical systematic theology that is complete. That is complete. And that would be your last blank before going to point number three. And I want to spend more time on point number three and then looking at some of these pictures that I have uh, just to explain a little bit. Okay, so understanding our responsibility. So this gets down to why I want you guys to really work through this. And I want you guys to really understand this. I'm going to try to make this as exciting and interesting as possible. I want to make it as interactive as possible as we work through each mystery. But I want you guys to really understand this for really, for, I mean, one reason, but there are several reasons, but there's one really big reason, and that's point number A. Uh, point number A, point letter A. God names us stewards of the seven mysteries. So if you are saved today, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter how far along you are in your faith, how new you are in your faith, God has, he has dubbed you, dubbed thee, as a steward of the mysteries of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I really want you guys to pay attention to this, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Someone read verse 1 and 2. Noah. Let a minister count of us as of the ministries, ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found Okay, so right there, verse 1 says, Paul speaking, and the people that are with Paul, he says, Let a man so count of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he gives a requirement in verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So if I were to come to you and I say, hey, I need you to do... I mean, Pete, you've been having great ideas this morning. What am I going to entrust you with? Okay, cleaning the TV. Okay. <laughs> wow. High risk. Okay. All right. Let's, let's take it one step further. Okay. All right. So you're not only supposed to clean it, but it's broken. You need to take it apart, figure out what's wrong with it, and put it back together and make sure it's clean. <laughs> Easy. All right. So now, if I were to trust you with that, and if I were to come back like a week later and it's not done, what would I be thinking? Yes, you didn't know what you were doing right. And then you really didn't take it that serious. Because if you had problems, what would you do? Ask you. Yes, you would 
yeah, you'd ask me, you'd ask somebody, you'd give me updates on, hey, just want to let you know, uh, I'm not quite finished with it yet because we had to order this part and it's got to be in and then I got to talk to this person. Okay, that's what a steward does. They take ownership. They take responsibility for something. It's theirs, all right? This is a missing element in many of your guys' lives because how many of you could confidently say that you are an owner of your relationship with God? It's yours, that you, it's something very, very dear to you, that if it was missing, a part of you would be gone. How many of you would say that you're an owner, you take responsibility in this ministry for the things that happen in this ministry, for the other people in this ministry, that it's mine. I belong to it, but it belongs to me. And there are certain things that I need to take responsibility for to make sure that things are done the right way because God has gifted me, which is why we're doing this on Wednesday night, by the way, the spiritual gifts. God has gifted me uniquely to be in this group of people, this, this group of students, to do something for his honor and his glory, to encourage others in their walk with God, to see people saved, to see the saved discipled, and to keep growing in my relationship with God. I would say most of you are not owners. You need to be. That's what makes this a ministry rather than a youth group. A youth group is just a group of youths. They get together. A ministry is where ministering happens. And it doesn't have to be provoked by the leaders necessarily. It's things that you want to do because you're an owner in this ministry. Okay? So if you're not going to do that in your own walk and in the ministry that God's given you right in front of your face, how are you going to do this with the seven mysteries? Anybody got an answer? I got one. It's not going to happen. Unless you repent and change some stuff up in your life. Okay? Now, why is that so important? Because you could read this and say, well, yeah, well, it says, let him answer account of us. I mean, that's Paul speaking, so he's the steward. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You got me. No, you don't. Go to chapter 11 real quick, and we'll go back to chapter 4. Hold your spot in chapter 4 and go to chapter 11. You done didn't get me. Verse 1. Reader, I need a reader. Verse one. Go ahead, Carson. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Ah, you thought you could get away with it. No. Paul says, no, follow me as I follow Christ. And so if Paul was a steward of the mysteries of God, and he is supposed to be found faithful, then he is telling you, believer, follow him as he follows Christ. You also are a steward, and you will be held accountable to your stewardship of the seven mysteries. This is very important because that means now that God requires that you be faithful, right? God has entrusted something very precious to him, to you. Not just the gospel. The gospel is super precious. That's part of the mysteries. He's entrusted that to you, but he's entrusted all this other stuff. He's entrusted, I mean, look back at that list again. He's entrusted the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. There are people going around today that don't believe that Jesus was God. Right? They call themselves Christians. They use terms that are found in the Bible, but they don't believe that Jesus was actually God come in the flesh. That's a huge deal. You're called to be a steward of that mystery. And so if something comes across your path where you run into someone that believes that, or they're like, well, I'm not really sure Jesus is God. You know, Muslims believe that. Uh, Mormons believe that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. There's all sorts of other religions that believe that. What are you going to do about it? Do you know that mystery well enough to talk with that person and to say, no, 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 this is what the Bible says. 
and to be able to gently instruct them and teach them that they might repent and believe the truth. Are you able to do that? What about the second one? The mystery of the church as one body in Christ. I believe that many people don't participate in church today because they're just flat out selfish. I mean, first of all, they just want what they want and they're not willing to give themselves to the Lord. But they don't understand the church. They don't understand the church and the importance of the church. There are so many people that are abandoning churches and their excuse is, well, I got hurt. Guess what? It's going to happen all the time, everywhere, not just in the church, but outside the church. Life stinks and you're going to get hurt. Do you know why? Why? People, because people suck. (laughs) Yeah, another word for suck is sinner. Okay, people are sinners. Okay, they are. You make mistakes. Other people make mistakes. So what makes you think that you can walk into a group of people in a local church and not get hurt by someone or something? Pastors make mistakes too. And they hurt people. Some intentionally, but most of the time, at least in my heart, that's not intentional. I don't want to hurt people. That's not my motive. But they have to understand what is the purpose of the church. Because the devil will do whatever he can to get you out of this place. He'll do whatever you can to not come. He'll do whatever he can to discourage you from showing up. You've got to be aware of that. And you've got to fight against it. Because he doesn't want you coming together because there's power in us meeting together. That's why Paul wrote in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the manner of doing. But provoke one another to love and good works, to do the things that are right, sound doctrine. What about the third one? The mystery of Christ indwelling the believer. When you understand that God lives inside of you, it changes the way that you believe everything and changes the way that you see everything. You will not struggle with sin as much as you do today when you really understand that God is in you, that Christ is in you, and that he's not going anywhere. And it will also give you great assurance, like when you're feeling alone or you're feeling depressed or you're having a hard time with something or you're struggling, that he's in you and he's with you and he's not going anywhere. That is priceless. All right, look at the fourth one. The mystery of the restoration of the nation of Israel. This world hates Israel. This world hates the Jew. If you doubt that, just look at our history. They have tried to murder the Jews from the moment that God named Abraham to go out and start his own country and kindred that God was going to give him. They hate them, absolutely despise the nation of Israel. And here's the reality. God is not done with them yet. God is not done. They have a very integral part in the, the future and in the, in the future plans that God has during the tribulation and in the millennial kingdom and in eternity future. And God is not done with them. There are many Christians today that believe that, that the nation of Israel is a sham and that uh, it's going to be used by the Antichrist today in, in the world to set up his one world government. And they believe that the nation of Israel shouldn't even exist and that, that God is completely done with them and that they've replaced the nation of Israel. That is heresy. That is heresy. That is not true. And you need to be able to understand that. The mystery of the rapture of the church. There are many Christians today that do not believe that the rapture church is going to happen. They believe that born again believers are going to be going through the tribulation. And that is not biblically accurate. And you need to know why. You need to be able to give an answer to that. The mystery of iniquity. This is the plan of the devil since the very beginning when he fell into sin to usurp God's authority and take over. And his plan is weaved throughout human history incognito in a lot of places, but it's weaved throughout human history. So you should understand this because that will give you great insight into the world today, the way that it is in the world today, the temptations that you have, the things that you struggle with. You should be able to articulate that. In the mystery of Babylon the Great, 
Babylon the Great. And what is Babylon the Great that the Antichrist is going to use during the last days, during the tribulation, to try to control the entire earth and try to destroy the plans of God? You should be able to understand that. It's been at the work since the very beginning. And so the, the Babylon the Great is the devil's object to try to influence his plan in the world. So you are stewards of those seven things. Does that sound complicated? It might. Are there any of these that you're very insecure about? About trying to explain to somebody? Like, could you explain to somebody how God is not done with the nation of Israel yet? Could you explain to somebody the rapture now? And open up your Bible and show them where it actually says what it says and what you believe and why you believe it? Okay, because you're going to need to know that. And here's why. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, so we read verse 1 and 2. Let a man so count of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And then look at the next few verses. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Now listen to this. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then every and then shall every man have praise of God. See, these seven mysteries, your stewardship is directly tied, Christian, to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, somebody give me a, a quick explanation of the judgment seat of Christ. Who can explain that? We'll talk about it as we go through it, but somebody try to explain it can be super simple. Haley. Um, everybody that's Okay. All right. That's the good starting point. Let's expand. They're not just standing before God. Who do they stand before? Jesus. Somebody said it. They stand before Jesus and they're held accountable for the things that they did in their life. Now, what is that? Those are your sins? Yeah, the work you did for God, not your sins. Why? Why is a Christian not judged for their sins at the judgment seat of Christ? Because of salvation. Because it was paid for at the cross. When Christ died on the cross, it paid the payment for your sin. So you're not going to be judged for your sin. What you're going to be judged for at the judgment seat of Christ is what did you do with the new life that God gave you? Because the moment that you're born again, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's why we say born again. It's a new life. He has now given you a brand new life, starting at the moment of salvation, where you are not the same person that you were before. You are now different. You're a different creature. And he has now given you this new life. What did you do with it? And along with that new life, he gave you spiritual gifts. We're studying on Wednesday night. Spiritual gifts for you to minister among the body for the body's edification for them to grow in the work of God and in the ministry that God's given you in this local church and beyond. So what you do at that time from the moment of salvation until the day you die, you will not be judged for your sins. You'll be judged for what did you do with what he gave you. Okay? And we'll talk more about that in the future. All right? So at that judgment seat, your stewardship of these seven things that we're talking about is going to be required. 
So that also means that if you do these seven things, if you are a good steward of these seven things, your judgment is going to go very, very well. Very well. You're not going to make a whole lot of mistakes because you're going to know the seven mysteries and you're going to be entrusted with them. You're going to keep them. You're going to be an owner of them and you're going to live them out. You're going to try to understand them. It's going to change the way you deal with people in your life. You're going to do well. So if you want the key to how to live a good Christian life, a successful Christian life, this study is it. Because, and here's the big one, and we're going to get to this, your doctrine will always, always impact your decisions. Always. What you believe will always determine your behavior. And so this is where it's hard for a lot of us to look into the mirror of God's word and to judge ourselves. But what you do with your life now, like what you just did over the past week, that is what you believe. That is your doctrine. That is what you believe. Now, let me ask you, when you look at that from that perspective, is your doctrine biblical? Or is your doctrine carnal? Because what you do really shows what you actually believe. You can say you love God. You can say you love Jesus. You can say, you can say, you can say, you can say, you can say as much as you want. But the things you do reveal what you actually believe. And we always have room to grow. Every single one of us. God convicts me of this all the time, all the time. And I got to be honest with myself and with the word of God and then change my heart appropriately. It's called repentance. I've got to do that. And so when it comes to this issue, you have got to make sure that you are doing the things that God wants you to do. And if you're not, repent, change it up so that you can actually live successful, successful. Get God's doctrine in your head and in your heart. Let that change your personal doctrine so you can actually do things the right way. But God's going to hold you accountable to this. And this leads us to letter B under point number three. The seven mysteries will protect us from bad doctrine. The seven mysteries will protect us from bad doctrine. I promise you with all my heart, if you get your head into this and your heart into this and you let it get into you and you really believe this and you follow this stuff out, you will not believe false doctrine. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to believe false doctrine when you adopt these seven mysteries and become owners of them, understand them, get them in your heart, get them in your head. Go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Okay. All right. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, what is that word? Doctrine. Doctrine. See, profitable first for doctrine. The Bible's purpose first is to give you sound doctrine. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what's the purpose of all that? Verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So when you look at the scriptures, it gives you doctrine and that tells you the things that are right, the things that are true, the things that are correct, the things that are righteous. For reproof, that tells you what is wrong. The Bible, one of the purposes of the Bible is to tell you what is wrong. It has to tell you what's wrong in order to lead you in the ways that are right. A lot of people don't like that part of the Bible, but you need it. For correction, they don't like this one either. How to fix what's wrong. Okay, so the Bible tells you what's wrong in your life or in the lives of other people. And then it tells you, well, how do you actually fix that? The Bible tells you that. 
And then instruction in righteousness. And that is how to keep it fixed. So it tells you what's right. It tells you what's wrong. It tells you how to fix what's wrong. And it tells you how to keep it fixed. That's the Bible. This is why we need the Bible in our life. If the Bible is not an active part in your life, it is only a matter of time. Scratch that. Matter of minutes before you mess up. It is. You need the Bible in your life. If you want to live righteously and you want to live godly, you must have the Bible in your life. If you're not in the Bible, how are you going to know what's right and wrong? How are you going to know how to fix what's wrong? How are you going to know how to keep it fixed once you've corrected it? And how are you going to know and how to help other people when, they're, when their lives are a mess? You can't. There's no other standard. I mean, the world today would make, want to make you think that you have the answers in you. Just follow your heart. Just follow. Just follow your heart. Baloney. I've followed my heart and I've made so many mistakes, it's ridiculous. I've followed God's word and every single time I've followed God's word, I have never made a mistake. That's a bold statement. But I make that because of God, not me. Every time I have followed what God has said, I've never made a mistake. That's huge. You get nothing else this morning? Get that one. That's huge. So it will keep you from bad doctrine because we live in a time where people don't even want it anymore and that's my fear with you guys is that you don't even want to hear this and i really hope that that's not the case i hope that you want to hear this because that's what it says in chapter four look at verse three of second timothy chapter four verse three for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables that's exactly what's going on today and that is my greatest fear for you I'm dead serious. I am, I am dead serious about this. This is my greatest fear for you guys, for your generation. As each year goes by, the deadening of the ears gets worse and worse and worse. People don't want to hear the Bible. And you can see it because they don't want to obey the Bible. And so it doesn't matter how much I teach it, does it actually make an impact in someone's life? And that is one of my greatest, greatest fears as your pastor. Okay, take a look at these charts. So if I were to visualize this, if I were to give you a quick summary of why we're doing this, I'd give you these two pictures here. The first one, you have spiritual growth and you have this, this stack of blocks and it's founded upon God because God is the one where his doctrine comes from. Uh, but God then produced the word of God and from the word of God comes the various doctrines of God and the things that he wants us to know, specifically the seven mysteries. And then we build our life on top of that. See, most people, they just build their life, but they don't build it on the foundation of God. They just keep building, and it's correlated to Matthew chapter 7. Anyone know that story? Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 29. There's a song, there's a children's song that we teach our kids in our church. The wise man built his house upon the rock, where the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Okay? And what happened when the storm came and the winds and the waves for the foolish man? It fell. His whole life that he had spent time building... All of his efforts, it completely fell. But as far as the wise man is concerned, it stood still. And Jesus said in that passage, look it up later. He said, if any man will hear my words and do what I tell them, they are like the wise man that builds their house upon the rock. So what kind of house do you want to have? Because there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time building their lives on a whole bunch of nonsense. And it might look like it's standing firm for now. But just wait. Just wait. Once a storm comes through, it's all going to buckle. And they're going to realize everything they had was not worth the time that they put into it. 
All right, and that second picture there is just a picture of the mysteries and how it lines up with the different uh, ologies, and uh, that's just kind of more for your reference. We're going to use those pictures as we work through each one. So uh, hopefully this, guys, was, uh, was helpful to you. Um, this is what we're going to be going through in the weeks to come, and uh, we're going to get creative on how to work through it. Uh, but you guys need to know this stuff. You need to know these mysteries. And this is not something that one lesson is going to teach you, okay, I understand the first mystery, and I'm good now. I don't need to go back to it again. No. It's to help launch you off into understanding what that mystery is and why it's important for you to then become an owner of that mystery. All right? So it's really going to be a launching pad to get into some of these things for you to really dive into in future weeks. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Somebody pray. Close this. Heavenly Father, uh, just want to thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you that um, we got to just come out to church, Lord, and then we have a free country where we can come to church and just learn about you. And just, um, Lord, I pray for the weeks that continue, Lord, as we learn about the mysteries and we apply them to our lives, Lord, and just really just um, search out your word, Lord, and just grow closer to you and establish a better relationship with you, Lord. And I pray for the main service it would go well and once again that we'd have ears to hear and that whatever we learn uh, we'd apply it to our lives and I pray throughout the rest of the day that we can glorify you in Jesus name Amen, amen.